0: Hey, welcome back to the Driven Entrepreneur. Yes, yes, yes. You're a Driven Entrepreneur and you're here for a reason. You are here. I know why you're here. You're here because you want to learn the strategies, skills, and techniques, and you want to hear the stories of the people who have been there and done that. And I got just such a person on right now. He's on the line ready for this awesome interview. Um, my guest today is Ed Epley. He's a leading global expert in professional management, sales strategy, and performance management. He's worked with executive teams at multinational companies, literally all across the world—the U.S., Europe, China, Japan, Australia. His clients include Sarah Lee, DSW, Bloomberg, Goodyear, and BMW. He's worked with the Who's Who, and you know it. Um, for over forty years, man has a four-decade career helping business owners apply a system of professional management and identifying and correcting workplace problems. We talk management, leadership, and all things team. Uh, Ed Epley. Welcome to the show. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm great, Matt. Great to be with you. Thank you.
0: Man, I'm excited. Just just chatting for a couple of minutes, getting set and ready. I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to salivate um, when I get someone like you who's, well, first off, a four-decade career. That's incredible. Did you start off in the U.S. with, with yes. this career?
1: Yeah, I did. I'm a farm boy from Ohio, and uh, that's where my entrepreneurial uh, itch got first scratched was uh, raising hogs for a 4-H project that turned into a business. T- tell me about that.
0: How did it turn into a business? <laughs> How old were you? Are you like uh, 16, 15?
1: No, I was probably 12. Oh, uh, 12. Young yeah, 12, 4-H. Yeah, 12 or 13. And and I had a, um, a bred female hog. So she was pregnant when I bought her as a 4-H project and she was a purebred Hampshire hog. So uh, I hear came, that's a
0: big deal. Is that a, a well, it,
1: <laughs> it, here's, here's why Here's why it became important. Uh, when the the pigs were born, the, the litter of pigs were born. My dad said, we have to decide if you're going to raise breeding stock and sell them to uh, maybe some of the surrounding area farmers who want to use them to uh, crossbreed and, and uh, improve the strains of their, their, their performance of their hogs, or you can um, make them into market hogs uh, and, and then sell them for butchering, for eating. And I said, "Well, what's the difference?" He says, "If you sell them for breeding stock, you'll make three times the money if you sell them as, <laughs> as butcher hogs." And I said, "I like the I like the three times more." So I started raising breeding livestock that I sold to the other farmers, and uh, I, I ended up at sixteen. I had three hundred head of hogs that I was raising and and um, selling to the farmers in the area, and I, I didn't know I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. But that's I, I came to realization later in life that that was my first
0: pass at at trying to have my own business. So did you have any issue getting your first car at 16?
1: (laughs) It's funny. My first car was a Volkswagen, but at 18, I sold all of the hogs uh, that I had on at that time. And I went into a car dealership and I bought an MGB GT off the uh, showroom floor. I said, I want that car. And the guy looked at me like, can you afford this? And I said, yeah, I could afford it. And so uh, it was it was my cashing out, if you will, of my uh, five, six years of being in the hog business.
0: So you you sold your first business at 18 and walked in with a briefcase of cash to get your dream car. That's pretty much what happened. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Were your were your parents um, growing up? I I just love to kind of get the, the childhood viewpoint. You know, was it just kind of classic farmer? Were they very entrepreneurial in what they did? Uh, or not at all. Was it very opposite kind of just, you know, homegrown blue collar work? What, what was that like growing up as a kid? And well, did you depart from what it was like or did you lean into it?
1: Well, I, I, I certainly got my work ethic from my mom and my dad. They, they, uh, my, my mom's still living. She'll be 91 in a couple of months. My dad passed away just before age 90 a, a few years ago, but they, they blessed me with teaching me how to work. They also, uh, I think early on, just kind of said, you know, he, he's stubborn. He's going to kind of do what he wants. So they, they never, they never uh, gave me any grief about wanting to do anything entrepreneurial. And in fact, they made it very simple. My dad really made it very simple for me to get into business and providing, you know, a location and equipment and stuff like that. Uh, so they were very supportive without recognizing, I think, what, you know, what they were allowing me to do at the time. I think later on they kind of went, oh, yeah, we we kind of we greased the skids for the kid. So
0: I love that. Now, f- from that point, did you did, did you take some time off or did you like jump right into business? What was your plan from like 18 to, I don't know, early, mid 20s? What did that season of life look like for you? Did you know well, you I were had... going to get into this stuff or was that yeah. down the road?
1: Well, it, it was, there was a trans, uh, there's a, 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 I guess you would call it a period of transition that happened uh, about the same time I realized I didn't want to be in the hog business <laughs> for my career. My, uh, my speech teacher at high school, uh, Frances Schaefer was her name, she recommended me to a local radio station as somebody that might be able to help with local uh, broadcasts of football and basketball. And so I found myself doing play-by-play basketball, um, and immediately recognized I, I wanted to be in that business at least for a while. And so I became focused on doing that in college while I still worked weekends doing play-by-play sports for the local radio station. Um, and that led to me pursuing a career in broadcast for a period of about 10 years. And, um, It was, but but I got derailed by my entrepreneurial itch along the way because at age 22, I started my first uh, real business after the hogs with uh, an an advertising agency that I created. And um, so from age 22 to 29, I had this uh, business where I was helping um, clients really with their collateral materials and their strategy for advertising in the North Central Ohio area.
0: I hear advertising a lot. Now, I've never worked officially in advertising. I think I understand the concept, but I know corporate advertising and advertising firms yeah. is far different than what most, to me, I think small business owners and the entrepreneurs, what they think of. Yeah. And especially today, I know it's, it's a different oh, yeah. world, you know, a few decades later. Talk to me a little bit about um, getting into the advertising business. Did you go to yeah. school for it? Did you have a knack no. for it? Did you find- More the latter, more, more, the,
1: more the latter. And I went, I uh, at the radio station that I was doing the sports work for, they asked me to get into sales. And I had no hesitation doing that because I knew that the money was made in the selling of advertising more than the uh, the talent. Um, so I, I went into the sales side. I was asked to take a Dale Carnegie sales training course. Um, actually, I was told to take a Dale Carnegie sales training course. And as a result of that, I my business got better. You know, my sales got better. But also, I found that I was really I really enjoyed the the uh, aspect of training. And they asked me to come back and be a graduate assistant, so I started doing that. And that gave me a tremendous amount of confidence to have business conversations um, with business owners, which got me into the whole idea of having conversations not just about their radio, but all of their advertising. And it was a form of consulting before I knew what consulting was. And that's where they started asking me. In fact, the, the, what really happened is I had a couple of clients asking me to help them with all of their budget, and so not only was I helping them assign their radio dollars, but you know, billboard, direct mail, things of that nature. And I, I felt a dilemma, and I went into the station owner and my boss, and I said, Tom, uh, his name was Tom Moore. I said, Tom, I got a problem. He said, What's your problem? And I said, I've got these clients asking me to help them with their budget. And I explained to him what was going on. He said, "Ed, you have a moral dilemma." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, (laughs) you have to to decide if you're working for them or for me." And I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." He's. I said, "Well, so what's what's this all coming down to?" He says, "They're asking you to be an advertising agency." And I said, "Ah." And I said, "So what do you think?" He says, "You're 22." He said, "If you're going to screw up, this is a great time to do it. I think you should try it, and I'll support you. I'll recognize you as an agency and pay you commission on what the." Whatever you bring to the station, and so that was a real gift. You know, Francis Schaefer first pointing me in the direction of radio, and then this guy was so great to to uh, help me make that first jump to running my own, starting and running my own advertising agency. It
0: was a it was a real gift. Wow. So you're talking. Uh, you're in the radio at this point. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Were the first clients like radio advertising clients? Yeah, Is that what yeah. Happened? yeah, yeah.
1: And 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 as a new as a new advertising guy on the station, you know they tend to give you pretty much the dregs of the the clients that that they have left. You know the the good ones are already taken by other salespeople. Sure. So um, I was fortunate that I was able to help some of them grow their business and you know, dramatically improve the amount of their advertising spend and, you know, they get, they got presence in the marketplace. Their businesses were improved as a result of it. So, I mean, there was a story to tell there and they gained, they gained confidence in my ability to, you know, give counsel and ask the right questions and help them figure things out. So it was, it was a, you know, it was a wonderful college like experience, you know, preparing me for, for my next, uh, businesses, uh, that I, that I would be involved with. Um, but you know, wasn't in college. I, I I started school, quit after my junior year because I realized I wasn't a liberal arts guy, and um, and really focused full time on the on the radio side of things. So it was a it was a remarkable education I got.
0: Wow! So from advertising, so you did that for seven years, give or take, and w- to move from advertising into? I don't know. Did you go straight to leadership, management, and working with people? And if so, why? It seems like there'd be such, like, I don't don't know.
1: Yeah. What what happened was everybody after five, six years, everybody was making money in the business except me. So everybody was getting paid. All the clients were getting taken care of. But what it it became a realization to me, I didn't know how to run the business. So I I was frustrated. I had ended up getting a divorce from my first marriage in a large part because I, I treated my business as a mistress instead of, uh, you know, sharing it with my my bride. I understand. And, and, um, and so we ended up getting divorced and I was just burned out from it. So I ended up going to work for one of my clients and setting up, um, and it was an industrial uh, maintenance vehicle that would be used in large uh, automotive and industrial factories. And I'd been telling the client for several years, you need to set up distribution. And he said, why don't you just come to work for us and do it? And that's, that was kind of like the portal for me to say, okay, I'm going to shut down the advertising agency, which you did. And then, um, start, start down this road of learning about the industrial marketplace and setting up these distributors for this client. And I was a road warrior, leave on Monday, come back on Thursday. And I did that for a year. And I was in every kind of factory you could imagine, Matt. I, I mean, that, that got me into Michigan, you know, <laughs> it got me, into anything, <laughs> got me into, Tennessee. And I I just traveled all over the eastern half of the United States. And uh, again, a great learning experience.
0: So from that point, then you started working for them. Did you jump into doing your own work at that point? Well, back up. Tell me a little bit about what what you're Kind of title? What was the capacity, and what were you mostly responsible over? Were you running teams?
1: I, I no, I was a I was a solo uh, sales force for the organization. I was their only outside salesperson. So similar
0: and, to the radio station and even yeah. advertising, you're really yeah. been a sales guy all this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I cut my teeth learning to sell both intangible and tangible products, and um, I uh, and and I got exposed to so I literally thousands of different kinds of businesses from the time I was 21 until I was probably well actually until I was uh, 40 for, for 19 years I the first 19 years of my life was really about preparing me to do the work that I do today that's yes. really what happened and the, the if you think about it what ended up happening I did this gig working for this client of, of mine from the advertising agency then I was still uh, involved with Dale Carnegie training. I was teaching the Dale Carnegie sales course by this time. And I had a fellow ask me if I would be a manufacturer's rep for them. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll talk about it. What is it? <laughs> he said, you <laughs> would be a contracted salesperson for us, but you could also be a contracted salesperson for other companies. So I did that for five, six years. And again, now I get not only into industrial, but now construction and municipal uh, uh, wastewater clients. So now again, I'm still getting a, an exposure to more kinds of businesses. And then in 1990, I'm sorry, 1987, I ended up going to work for one of the distributors that I was calling on called Ohio transmission and pump here in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. And I ended up becoming the vice president of sales there for about seven years. And, um, that's where I really got embraced and embedded in managing others. I had 12 salespeople now that I was managing at the peak. And, um, that's where I really burnt out at being a manager as a true manager of others, because I did not know how to manage. I was just throwing sheer effort at it. Why do you feel
0: like you got put into a management position if you didn't yet know how to manage? Was it just a a promotion thing or you're the senior guy or what was it? The best boss I ever
1: had is a guy named George Babiak. He still lives here in the area. And, uh, George saw in me a talent to be able to do management and leadership, even though I wasn't skilled at it and he supported me in my growth. So, I mean, I was, I was taking classes, but the truth is when it, when it all came down to it, I really don't like to manage people. Um, that, that that's what I actually figured out over that time period is that I don't want to make the emotional investment that you really need to make in, in being invested in people's success um, and to do it for as many people as I was doing it for, which was that's that if there's one thing that I had too many salespeople, I really
0: did. So I appreciate your honesty too. That That's something that what you just said, I don't think a lot of people would feel comfortable even saying, it's like, you know what, if I really come down to it, I don't know if I like doing that. I can be good at it. I can do it. Uh, and I'm sure there's parts of it you like, and you know, there's a wider conversation, but just to say, Hey, maybe. The biggest strength I have isn't the people. Maybe it's the process or maybe it's this or that. We talk about that a lot on the show is realizing that not every person is meant to be a leader. Not every person is meant to be a manager. And not every person should be you know, doing task-oriented things or process-oriented things. Yeah. It's really yeah. about getting the right people on the right seats on the bus. And you seem, again, you're a guy that like you get that. Um, I want to ask you about, about this book, too. You have a new book coming out or has come out now called Let's Be Clear. Yeah. Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros. So yeah. I love, I, I'm i a big fan of the five, six, seven, you know, uh, uh, systems. You know, yes. Uh, yes. My, my book is The Seven Drives that Fuel Every Entrepreneur, The Firebox Principle, and your book is Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros. Talk to me about the concept for the book. How did you know it was time to write this book? Um, <laughs> a little bit of that, like the, I would love to talk about the genesis, the birth of it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, after 40 years in business, you, you start to have a, a, a group of thoughts, you know, you have a a, a a a I guess you'd say a collection of themes that you believe to be true or know to be true for you. Yes. And so I certainly those emerged in, in the work that I've been doing for the last 26, 27 years. Um, the second part was when my, uh, I have a, uh, my wife and I have, have a son and daughter-in-law, uh, our son's, uh, Twenty or thirty-four, and lives out in Denver. Our daughter's thirty-two, lives here in the Columbus area. But a lot of times, when people ask them what's your dad do, they really have trouble describing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and one of the things I actually wanted to do is just memorialize what I do and uh, a framework for the work that I have, so that some time and place, people, if they look back and say, "What did what did this guy do?" It it it, it literally would capture that. So that one was just a you know a legacy thing. Number two, though, was to to really get to the essence of what I've seen work and not work in the businesses that I've been part of, as well as the businesses where I've been a consultant. So I wanted to, I really wanted to capture real life examples of people using or not using successfully these six disciplines. And so it's, it's written very much in a, in a, you know, if you've ever read the book how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie of course he tells a lot of stories uh, naming names and so i've tell i tell a lot of stories naming names of clients that i've worked with um and where it's worked successfully i name them and talk about where they are and who they are where it's not worked successfully i change the names to protect them you know but 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 that's the uh, that's really what the book's about and so i i really wanted to instead of just be theoretical i wanted to provide examples of how clients have applied these disciplines to run better businesses.
0: So tell me about, about some of the disciplines, before we get to the six disciplines, yeah. um, the, the big question I have for you, it's a real simple one, but what's the difference to you between management and leadership?
1: Um, the, one of the big epiphanies in my journey um, was uh, of becoming the consultant that I've become was attending Dale, I'm sorry, the Aileron. Um, uh, Aileron is a campus built by a gentleman named Clay Mattill, who was the owner of Iams Pet Foods. Um, if you're familiar with Iams, they, they they have a very powerful brand in the pet food industry. And Clay has, in my words, a love affair with entrepreneurs. He he thinks and believes, as do I, that you know businesses that are small businesses really drive so much of the economic engine in the in the communities where we live and work. And so what he wanted to do in building this campus was help entrepreneurs, business owners be able to install professional management in their businesses so that they would run more successful companies, employ more people and make the communities where they operate better places to live. So I'm fortunate to be on their faculty there and I help teach a program called the course for presidents. Which was where I got exposed to the six disciplines of professional management. So all kudos go to Aileron for helping me with that. Um
0: and by but, the way, what a great name too. Just it's simple, but it's so cool. The yeah, Course it, for Presidents. Yeah, it, it is, it is pretty cool. Like you need great. to know who you are to take that class, right? <laughs> that, that's a that's a big deal.
1: It it is. So in the in the exposure to the six disciplines, it became aware it became evident to me that. Professional management is the toolbox. And inside that toolbox are these six tools, uh, which include leadership, strategy, people development, organizational performance, structure, and culture. These are and the six disciplines? As a those program. are the six disciplines, yeah. And, and so what, what it be, it, I no longer think of leadership and management as two different tools. I think of the toolbox as professional management and leadership as one of those tools.
0: That's incredible. So, professional management, I I love it because people always, uh, every time I've ever talked to someone, they put management and leadership really is almost sisters, right? Like side by side. Yes, right. Understand that to professionally manage an organization, part of it is leadership. That's brilliant. So, tell me about one of the other, one of the other disciplines you mentioned was culture and yeah, I'm a big fan of corporate culture and just culture in general, right? Like culture inside of the church, inside of, of business, inside of your family. There's, yeah. there's someone responsible for that. Yeah. Talk to me about uh, maybe let's start with this healthy and unhealthy cultures. Do you, do you see patterns in like when you can, you go into a company and you go, man, I can just see their cultures in the pits. What are some indicators? Why do you know it's not working well? Meetings after the meetings. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one of the biggest ones.
1: I'm, I've also been... And, uh, and why is it
0: meetings after the meetings? Is it because the meeting wasn't working or is it just because they have a culture of meetings and not doing or well, what about uh, meetings after meetings?
1: Well, uh, uh, one of the other organizations I've been affiliated with and been blessed to be part of is the Table Group, which is Pat Lynchioni, the author of The Five Dysfunctions of the Team and The yes. Advantage. And so it, it, I always look through at businesses now through the lens of, are they smart or are they healthy and smart? Meaning they've got the right infrastructure, strategy, finance, marketing, um, IT, you know, that, that you need those things to be able to scale the business profitably and yes. then the health health side is, do they have a, a strong purpose that unites everybody? And do they have, um, a clear written and unwritten rules about how you behave and, and, and they're not negotiable. It's, it, you know, you either have a culture by design or you have one by default. And, um, that's true in your family, right? That's true in the church. That's true in any entity of which you're a part. It's either designed to be a certain way or it results in being a certain way because people just let it happen. And, and so when you see a business that's struggling with culture, you either have people at the top who are leaders for the wrong reasons, Yes, their, their 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 motive, which by the way is Pat's new book coming out in February, is called "The Motive," which is really what's the motive behind why you want to be a manager and a boss and a leader, and and so a lot of times you have people and we see it all the time in Wall Street and other places that their their motive is for themselves. It is it is all about um, their own benefit that that they're in this role, and then the great leaders most of us have been around are the ones who have some altruistic motive beyond themselves and then the the other part is that companies that have great cultures work at it and they pay attention to it all the time i was i one of my clients is steamboat ski and resort company i was with them 3 weeks ago out and prep for the season and with the executive team and i've been with that team every uh formally every 6 months for the last 4 years and uh, it's so remarkable how aligned and cohesive they've become and how they have each other's backs and how they're comfortable telling each other more often the truth and not, you know, sugarcoat and stuff that, that for fear of, of, of offending somebody that they get the issues that need to be talked about on the table so much quicker than they used to. So I'm, um, it's a long winded answer to your question, Matt, but that's, that you, when you see meetings after the meetings, it's because you're not talking
0: about the things you should be talking about in the meeting. So then afterwards, people have to talk. So you're talking about they have individual meetings and two, yeah. and three person meetings. And they go, yeah. can you believe what Ben said? I can't believe. Yeah. I don't know why they're doing this. It's, it's not going to work. So dumb. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've why been can't part you of just, them. <laughs> why can't you just say that out front? So what's one of the ways and just kind of real quickly on this. What's one of the ways that you can instill that the, the safety that it's okay to speak up that that we want to be able to have those conversations at the meeting how do you initiate that do you just come up and say you, hey you, guys new sheriff in town and here's how we're going to be for now on or how long is you something you have to do how long have you been married matt almost 10 years
1: Okay. When did, when did you and your wife really get honest with each other? Most, most couples, when they say. Probably start, about seven years. In, yeah. Years yeah. In, really, have, really honest. Yeah. You had to earn the right to have vulnerability based trust. Yes. That's what we call it vulnerability based trust. So that's good. So teams have to work on creating an environment where it's okay. In fact, it's expected that we will tell each other the truth. So the goal is to make great decisions in the least amount of time possible.
0: That's gold great decisions in the least amount of time possible yeah I know a lot of people listening that are in a company that wish that was the credo
1: <laughs> yeah and and uh, one of the one of the table groups themes is consensus is a dirty word if we're trying to get everybody to agree before we make the decision that's too long so what you want is the argument and the debate honestly about the issue that is most important right now for the business let's have that honest debate and argument and then we will make a decision. And if we've all had a chance to weigh in on it, even if I don't agree with the decision that's being made, I can still fully commit to it because I had a chance to win and I didn't. That's really what we're trying to get to.
0: Right. So at the end, if I didn't get my way or it's, I still don't think that's the best way because I thought my way was the best way. I can still get a chance to get on board. And I can still say, I remember, uh, working for, um, for a salesperson who said, Hey, man, I don't care what we're selling. If, if my boss says at the end of the day, we're now going to sell paper clips and that's what we're doing, I'm going to get on board and say, Okay, these are the best dang paper clips. We're going to figure this out because I know he has a vision, right? And, right. and it might that's not right. be the thing I want, but if I wanted it, I'd have my own business. That's right. And that's okay, right? You got to get on board with someone. Man, this has been so great. Ed, uh, a couple of last questions as we wind down here for you. Um, I, we talked about unhealthy. I want to talk about healthy. When Do you ever get brought into a, and this might come off wrong. I don't mean it this way for any of your, your awesome clients, but do you ever get, you ever get brought into a a healthy business that want to go to the next level? Yeah. And what's yeah. a good example of that? Like, how do you know it's healthy and why would they still want a consultant when it seems to be firing on all cylinders? What are some situations they would want someone like you to come in? The, um, it, usually it, Again, I said I look through the lens of how smart is the business, how
1: healthy is the business. The companies under 300, 200 employees, Matt, typically are pretty healthy. They're usually not very smart. They don't have all the systems, processes, disciplines installed in the business that they need in order to scale it. And so, what you, I actually have a good client. They brought me in thinking they were unhealthy, that needed to work on the health side. And after being with them for about six months, it became very clear they they really had a good culture. They really on the health side, they were touching all of the 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 buttons that you need to touch on a regular basis. What they didn't have is professional management. They did not, they don't I mean they didn't have uh, job descriptions and they didn't do good performance discussions with people and help them understand how what, what to do to make their job successful, right? How they didn't their job their people didn't know whether they were being successful or not doing the work they were doing. So those were the kinds of things. So I think when I get involved with a healthy company that that feels like they're struggling, it's not because they're generally not healthy. It's because they're not as smart as they need to
0: be. So they're, they're healthy with their people and they're doing well. But as you yeah. scale and have more people and you need more process, they don't have like maybe certain professional feedback systems or they yeah. don't have... Um, like the the level of professional, even like HR processes yeah, that they need exactly. to have in place. And you yeah. can come and help that. Man, I love this. Uh, Ed, it's been a pleasure connecting with you. And thank you so much for taking the time, <laughs> easy for me to say, taking the time to come on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ed Epley. And his new book is Let's Be Clear, The Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros. You can get it on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. The best place to get it is the Epley Group. It's the E-P-P-L-E-Y group.com. Theepligroup.com, and I know you also have, and I want to ask you this last thing here, you also have an assessment to find out which of the six disciplines, tell me a little bit about the assessment that they can find at the theepligroup.com.
1: Essentially, if, if you go on, on the website, uh, Matt, what you can do is very quickly answer about five to seven questions per discipline. And when you're done, it, it will help you have a, a better sense of which one of these
0: disciplines is probably, probably the low-hanging fruit for you. Simple as that. So the low-hanging fruit, if you want to find out which of the disciplines is easiest for you to grab hold of and move forward in your leadership and management style, make sure you check out the Epleygroup.com. You can also follow Ed uh, Ed Epley at LinkedIn and Twitter at Ed underscore Epley. Ed, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I sure appreciate your time. Anytime, Matt. Love talking with you. Awesome. All right, guys, that's the show for this week. I Hope it was powerful and beneficial for you. I know it was for me. I love talking leadership and management. Um, it's kind of what I, I go to bed sleeping at night thinking about. So Ed Epley was just a, an absolute rock star. Make sure you grab Ed's book, Let's Be Clear, and follow him on LinkedIn, especially in Twitter. Um, all I got to say at this point is I want you to get out there and apply this stuff. Get out there and keep running your business, growing your business, and crush it this weekend. Have an awesome weekend, guys. Talk to you soon.